So if you're not happy with your sales, what's one thing that you could change, be it a keyword, be it your cover, be it your blurb, that might have an impact? So you change that one thing and you wait and you see. And if it increases your sales, wonderful, you're on to something. If not, you try something else. Welcome to The Author Biz, the show that's focused on helping you build your business as an author. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is episode number 34. Wherever you are, however you listen, thanks for spending some of your time with me today. My guest on this episode is Chris Fox. He's an author who also works as a software engineer for a Silicon Valley startup. That's a world where careful planning, thinking big, being willing to adapt, or to iterate, or even to use a phrase you'll hear Chris use during this interview, to pivot, are part of most successful businesses. Trying new things, keeping what works, and quickly dropping what doesn't is part of the DNA of most successful Silicon Valley businesses. As you'll hear in this interview, Chris brings a lot of that Silicon Valley mindset to his author business. His careful planning allowed him to launch his first full-length novel, No Such Thing as Werewolves, very successfully back in October of last year, and his willingness to iterate and make changes to his initial plans have kept the book near the top of multiple Amazon category lists for over five months. And that's just the Kindle version of the book. As you'll hear in this interview, he also produced an audio version of the book, and the results have been absolutely amazing. Chris has already had significant success with his first book, but as you might imagine, he's got much bigger plans for his author business. Chris, welcome to The Author Biz. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. So you've written a first book. The title is No Such Thing as Werewolves. You published it at the end of October, and I checked this morning. We're recording this on March 4th, and you're top 20 in three different categories. So you've obviously written a great book, and you're doing a lot of things really well with regards to keeping it up there. So first, tell us about the book, and then let's get into some of the marketing things that you're doing. Sure, I'll keep it brief. Um, The plot is very complex compared to what a lot of people would expect. So it's not an urban fantasy book. When you hear the word werewolves, I think most people think urban fantasy. This is most definitely science fiction. So if you're familiar with things like Stargate, you're going to see a lot of that. And I took a very scientific approach to how I defined werewolves and everything that they're able to do from shape-shifting to, you know, powering up in moonlight. All of that is explained um, through direct science that I researched, uh, everything from Helios seismology to genetics. So if you are into anthropology, if you like pyramids, Egyptian (laughs) culture, or are fascinated by uh, ancient myth, I think you'll enjoy the book. I will say that you knocked my socks off with the open to the book. It was, uh, (laughs) it's a grabber. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Now, you live in Silicon Valley. You're also a a coder, an app developer. How how would you describe your, your professional life? Sure. My title is senior software engineer. I'm the very first employee at a small startup called Cellscope. So we started with uh, two founders and myself sitting in a tiny office and have since moved twice, and we are up to about 20 employees. Um, And what we do is we make an application for the iPhone that enables a device that attached to your camera. It's a microscope that will allow you to look into other people's ears. So you can conduct an ear exam right on your phone and then upload that to a doctor who can tell you whether or not you've got an ear infection. 
And then do you, who's your customer for this? I'll mention to listeners that you and I chatted a little bit earlier. I've spent my lifetime in the software business, and I'm curious. I, I looked at the website for this business, and I'm curious what the business model is. It's interesting because that shifted from when we started. So when we first started, we were aimed at doctors, and okay. doctors and medical students love this because today, if you were to conduct an ear exam and you're trying to teach another doctor how to do an ear exam, you have no visual to really show them. With our product, you can actually record a video and then play it back. And so uh, we found that a lot of doctors were teaching students how to do ear exams using our product, and they loved it. But we realized that market wasn't as scalable as we were hoping, and so we pivoted and started marketing to mom and dad, and we've done that with a great deal of success. So any new parent will tell you um, at 2 o'clock in the morning when your child wakes up screaming, you want to know what the problem is as soon as possible. And ideally, you don't want to have to bundle that child up and take them down to the emergency room (laughs) to find out what's wrong. (laughs) Not at 2 in the morning. (laughs) No. So you can use our device to take a look in their ear, and we do offer um, training videos in the application to show you how to conduct an ear exam, as well as guidance. So you'll see a little arrow on the screen that's telling you what direction to go in the ear canal. So you connect a, uh, a device to your phone, you go ahead and conduct that ear exam, it'll tell you when you've seen the eardrum, the tympanic membrane, and then as soon as you're done, you'll walk through a couple of, of quick questions, it'll send it off to a doctor, and you'll get an answer back pretty quick. Ah, that's, that's really cool. So as a technologist, you probably look at things like writing a book and marketing a book differently than some of the rest of us would. Is that, would you agree with that statement? I would definitely agree. So most of the people that I talk to who are authors uh, approach this a little differently. And they mm-hmm. look at it like I've written a book and now I want to get it out there, but I'm not sure how to do that. Mm-hmm. I look at this like running a startup. So um, indie authors really are each running our own company, and you have to approach it with all the same things you do as if you were opening, uh, you know, a hardware store. You you need to look at all of the things that a business owner would look at, and so that's the approach that I take when I'm I'm doing publishing, not just the writing of the book, but also the marketing, you know, the taxes, hiring an assistant. All of those are important little factors. Well, let, let's take a few steps back. You you published this book in late October. Is that right? Right, October 25th. All right, 2014. Um, You wrote a lot prior to that. You wrote a lot of short stories. You honed your craft. And at, at a certain point, you decided, I want to write and publish a book. When was that? I knew I wanted to publish novels when I was a kid. So, you know, going back to age seven or eight, um, I just didn't think it was realistic because it's so hard to get yourself out of the slush pile. So (laughs) it wasn't until probably 2009 or so when technology started to change that I realized indie publishing was going to be viable. And that's when I got a lot more interested because the idea of you know, signing a no-compete clause with a traditional publisher and having to go through all that rigmarole and not controlling my cover was really unattractive. And when I realized that I had another option, it became a lot more exciting. And that's when I got serious about writing. Okay. So in terms, though, of your author business, in terms of actually thinking about how you're going to do this, um, not just from a writing perspective, but how you're going to publish it, how you're going to market it, how you're going to achieve your goals for your business. um, When did you start thinking seriously about that? (laughs) Not until July. So the book came out in October, Mm -hmm. and I didn't really approach the business side of it until July. And I gave myself a three-month crash course in exactly how I was going to run it. And that required 
um, putting together a business plan, uh, devouring every resource that I could find, you know, podcasts and books on the subject, and really looking, most importantly, at other authors who were doing what I wanted to do and studying their success. Who did you study? Uh, Mark Tufo is the number one person that I found who has the kind of success that I'm looking to have in the genre that I'm doing. So if you write about zombies or werewolves, you want to be Mark Tufo. <laughs> okay. All right. So you, you modeled essentially what he did. I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then you wrote the book, you published the book, and somehow or other you had this marvelous marketing plan that's allowed it to skyrocket in the rankings and stay there. For, for several months. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about how you developed your marketing plans and what they are and, and how you implemented them. Sure. So this too comes from the, the startup world. Uh, it's a very broad approach to marketing. And I know that's sort of the, the four-letter word of the author world. A lot of us creatives don't like getting involved in marketing, and so um, we're a little bit reticent. But if you approach it with uh, two basic tenets, it gets a lot easier and it's a lot less murky. The 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 way it breaks down, really, is you're trying to find people who want to use your product, whatever problem you're solving, whether that's nonfiction or fiction. In my case, it was fiction. People are looking to be entertained. I needed to find the type of people that would be entertained by the product I was creating. So my entire marketing plan was based around uh, letting people know that this existed. And in our age of publishing, that's no longer holding a sale. That's no longer um, a big display at a bookstore. That's under understanding search engine optimization. So I considered who is the person most likely to buy my book. I created a user profile, which is used in marketing all the time, um, and decided that this this person, my mythical Bob, uh, had a certain lifestyle, was into certain hobbies. And once I understood what those were, I started looking at, well, okay, if I was Bob, where would I spend my evenings? What forums would I frequent? Where might I learn about books like this? And then I started going to those places and uh, both advertising and participating in those communities. Now, you mentioned that this is used in marketing all the time. Uh, I suspect you did something like this with the company that you're working for now, when y- you came up with the ideal customer for the product. Uh, you, you eventually pivoted away from that, but you initially had an ideal customer. Right. Um, and a lot of people, uh, they shy away from this because if you're creating an, an ideal customer, they assume that you're not marketing it to anyone else. So mm-hmm. if that's a 40-year-old soccer mom, um, they'll assume, well, what about the 21-year-old um, professional? I want to target that person as well. Um, when you make a user profile, and you may have several, it doesn't really preclude marketing to other people. It just sort of gives you a starting point. And I have to say, from being in the technology business for a long time, if you develop a product that works for everyone, then you have a market of no one. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. You need to target. Mm-hmm. You've got to target, and, and you, it, you targeted very narrowly. You, you, had, you created this Bob, your, your fictional Bob, and it's someone that reads the kind of books that you write, the kind of books that Mark Tufo writes, and you went about learning what Bob does, how Bob becomes interested in things and getting engaged. So let's talk through that a little bit. Sure. So this is the active marketing part of it, and I'll get to the passive marketing part of it, which is also important in a bit. Um, But the active part of it is understanding your audience and driving them to your product. So in this case, Bob is a 35-year-old IT professional. Um, I decided that he likes science fiction TV shows like Stargate and uh, Battlestar Galactica. He probably doesn't read very many books each year. He used to, but as he's growing up, there's more forms of entertainment that are competing for his attention. So for a book to really grab him, it has to be different in some way. It has to tackle some 
concept that he likes in a way that hasn't been done before. How long did it take you to come up with Bob? Because this, you've got a fairly in-depth profile here. <laughs> this doesn't seem like you're sitting around with pizza and beer and you came up with Bob while you were watching Stargate. Uh, actually, I very much did that. Really? Uh, I okay. sat around uh, over an evening uh, with a couple of friends and, and brainstormed um, our, my mythical Bob here. And it, part of it is because uh, growing up, a lot of the things that uh, my target market, my Bob, has a propensity for, I also do. So, you know, in a way, Bob is a reflection of me. And that isn't necessary when you're creating a user profile, but it does make it easier if the person that you're marketing your product to uh, has some similarities to you. Um, one of the interesting things that came about through my creation of Bob is realizing that Bob probably doesn't have a lot of free time. And so I wondered, uh, would Bob listen to audiobooks? And so that led to my adventure in audiobooks, which has been quite profitable. And I'd like to get into that in a little bit once we once we cover the marketing, because uh, I am... I'm a big fan of audiobooks. I've always been someone that loves to consume books, but there's never enough time in the day. So, uh, you know, the idea of being able to read books while you're on your way to work and back is is very appealing and it's interesting that that you applied that to Bob. Yes, very much so, and, and successfully. Um, so, so looking at, at Bob, since you, you wanted to cover more of the marketing, uh, once I figured out kind of who he was and started plotting out my advertising based on that, uh, I, I saw some immediate success, but not as much success as I would like. And so at first I couldn't figure out why that was. Then I started realizing, okay, how is Bob going to find my book? And ultimately Amazon, where most of us sell our books, is – just a search engine. So it's the second largest search engine in the world, right behind Google. And if people are going to find your product, they're going to be typing in keywords. So I write about werewolves. What's the first thing that people are probably going to type in? Werewolves. Mm -hmm. So I went to Amazon. I typed in the word werewolves, and you're presented with a bunch of autocomplete options. So I looked at those keywords, and I tried to figure out which ones best applied to my book and then capitalized on those. Was this after your book had been published? This was after my book had been published. So uh, coming from the software world, I understand that a product is never really finished. Mm -hmm. um, so you release it and you try some things, but you always have to be iterating and changing. So All right. Now, that's interesting. Let's, let's, let's stop for a minute here and, and just be sure everyone's following along because so many people will publish a book and it languishes. And then they just shrug and go on to the next book. And that's you're talking about doing exactly the opposite of that. Right. I, I do think that you should be working on the next book, but I also think you should put in time every day to try one new marketing tactic, tactic at a bare minimum. So if you're not happy with your sales, what's one thing that you could change, be it a keyword, be it your cover, be it your blurb, that might have an impact? So you change that one thing, and you wait and you see. And if it increases your sales, wonderful. You're on to something. If not, you try something else. How long do we wait? I, this is the hardest part. I typically wait three days to a week after any significant change. Okay. And so what were some of the initial changes that you made? The first thing you mentioned was based on the Amazon autocomplete, you went in and you obviously changed either the description or some keywords or something. So I, I completely redid my keywords. I had one word keywords in the beginning, things like werewolves, which is a horribly bad idea. You want to include entire phrases. So okay. uh, werewolf Kindle books is an example of something that I've added and, and that's been very successful. Um, so I did that initially and my sales doubled within two days. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I went from ranking number, I want to say 12,000 in the store at that point. And this is in um, early November to uh, six or 7,000 in just a couple of days. 
Well, it's easy to see that worked. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Most of the changes, though, they're, they're not nearly that cut and dried. And so you have to guess based on uh, people's reactions whether or not it's working the way you want it to. So I tightened up my blurb. And one of the things that I added to the end of my blurb um, was a description of the book from uh, a fan who is also a friend that I know in real life. And I put the tagline after that quote um, from a biased friend, the author's totally biased friend. And it turns out that many of my friends have approached me, or excuse me, many of my fans have approached me and said, I bought the book because of that line, because it made me laugh. I saw that line myself when I was first exploring the book, and it made me laugh. And it, I just thought, that, that's amazingly clever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I've used that on other books as well, and, and it seems to be successful. Uh, but uh, I think part of the reason why is because it sort of clues in potential readers to the sort of style you're going to see in the book, because I do interject that kind of humor. Tell me some of the things that you tried where you didn't really see a result. You had to wait maybe seven days and then to make a decision. Categories. So I tried shifting categories all over the place and didn't really see any luck or any change anywhere. The only change that had to do with categories that was helpful was getting into mystery and suspense, which is where I'm, I'm breaking on, on three charts currently in the top 20. Um, but every other category that I got into, they were so fiercely competitive that my book wasn't getting any traction. There was no discoverability there. So all the time I spent trying to optimize my keywords to get into more categories felt like it was wasted. How did you do this? How did you, for someone who's listening, that's completely flummoxed by all of this, you're talking about optimizing keywords, switching categories, um, changing the description. Changing the description is fairly obvious, but thinking through the optimization of keywords, was it simply the Amazon autocomplete feature or were there other tools that you used? Uh, it was only two simple tools. So the first one was the autocomplete feature. The second one is Amazon maintains a list of keywords, which you can find in their help section on Author Central, that will get you into specific categories. So if you want to be in the science fiction category, um, uh, genetic manipulation, you type in the word genes. If you want to be in the psychics category, you type in psychics or telepaths, and it'll put you in there. So you, you can find this list of keywords in the help section, and then that'll place you in subcategories. Would you, to go back to our earlier discussion about business, would you consider some of these changes to be pivots on, on the part of you as an author? Definitely. If you're choosing a whole new category, it means you're going to hit an entirely new audience of people. And so you, you should really know how that audience is going to react to your book based on your cover, your title, and your content. Okay, you've you've written fairly extensively about some of the marketing you've done. I've read some of what you've written, and in that you talked about I'm going to use the term stalking, which is not the right thing. It's not the right <laughs> term, but essentially you went to where your ideal reader, this Bob, would hang out. And you engaged with the people that were hanging out there. You never said, "Hey, I'm an author, go and buy my book," but you would just Post in forums with a little link or something that lets them know that you're an author, but never overtly saying I'm an author. Do you have any sense as to how helpful that was for you to engage with that audience? Sure. Some areas it's it's radically successful in. So the best example I can give of that is the werewolves subreddit over on Reddit. 
Um, I found it because somebody had actually posted about one of my books, and I have a Google Alert set up. So as soon as I saw that, I ran over there. Okay, all right, active all right, editor. Chris, stop, stop right here. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> there are going to be people that don't. There are going to be people that don't know what Reddits and subreddits are. So uh, walk us through that. Sure, I'll explain that. So there is a very large website which has millions upon millions of users called Reddit, and what they do is allow their users to post content of any specific type. So people will show up and they'll post news stories, um, cute photos, whatever's applicable to the subreddit that's been created. And a subreddit can be any topic you can imagine. So there's everything from a Game of Thrones subreddit to a writing subreddit. And in this instance, I had found a subreddit devoted to people who like werewolves. So all the links that you'll find are about a werewolf book or a movie or you know an awesome picture of a werewolf that somebody drew. That's the sort of content you would see. And my book showed up in that subreddit. And then you, I, I saw from your website that you did an interview, basically, uh, not an interview, but a Q&A session on Reddit. I did. Mm-hmm. And it, it looked like you had some pretty good engagement there. Yeah, I, I saw a spike in sales that day, so that was at least a little bit of proof that it was working. And then there was also uh, quite a few people who asked some good questions, so it was neat to get some fan interaction. Okay, and that you talked about Google Alerts, and uh, uh, most people are probably going to know what a Google Alert is, but for the few people that don't, explain that and how to set up a Google Alert, if you would, please. Sure. So a Google Alert will fire whenever the term that you have specified is listed somewhere that Google indexes. So if your book's you know name is no such thing as werewolves and you include that as a search term, um, when somebody types that in somewhere on the internet and posts that to their website, as soon as Google is aware of it, you'll get an email that says so-and-so posted about this in this location. And you can go check it out and see how relevant it is. Okay. All right. So you were tracking this information and you were able to see that some of what you were doing was working where do we go from where do we go from there this is this is all fairly early on i'm assuming right this is in the first few weeks after launch okay so then you know, we're still here. We're four months later. You're still there. You're still ranking really well. Several things that I did, I think, to to really make that longevity work. The first and the most powerful, and I can't stress this enough, is your keywords. Mm-hmm. Um, because as long as your keywords are relevant to your book and you show up on the first page, uh, new people come to Amazon every single day from all over the world to search for whatever that search term is. So you're always going to have a trickle of sales coming from that, and that'll help to sustain your ranking. Um, Kindle Unlimited was also very, very good to me because... There are less full-length novels in Kindle Unlimited, and my book is 130,000 words, about 450 pages. Mm -hmm. So quite a few people borrowed it that way. And whenever somebody borrows the book, it counts as a sale, which pushes you up in the charts. Okay. Have you been overall – it it sounds like you're happy with the exposure you get with Kindle Unlimited. Are you happy with the money you're making from Kindle Unlimited? Very much so. Um, I don't think I will stay in it long term, so odds are good I'll pull out after two terms. I'll I'll have been in for six months. Uh But for a brand new author on your first book, if you want to get success, um, success breeds success on Amazon. So if you're showing up on Amazon and no one has ever heard of you, your book is not going to get picked up. If you are getting a whole bunch of sales through Kindle Unlimited, that can generate the initial exposure that really gets the Amazon uh, algorithms working for you. They'll start sending out emails to their customers saying other people bought books like this, and the next thing you know, you're in the charts. Okay. Um, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. We were talking about um, active marketing. I got in a little bit to passive marketing, so I didn't mean to step on where you were going. Is, Is it time to get to passive marketing? 
Sure. And passive marketing, I think, is A, easier to do for most authors, and B, uh, much more important. And passive marketing is what a user sees when they get to your purchase page. So if I'm Joe User and I show up to your Amazon book page curious as to whether or not I want to buy this book, there are a series of places that a person's eye will go, and this has been studied very, very carefully in marketing, and they're going to look at certain things, and you need to make sure that you have everything on this list taken care of. So some of them are going to be obvious and and we're all aware of, things like your cover and your title. Uh, Those things need to be eye-catching and able to grab them, and not just a full-size cover, but the thumbnail of your cover has to be attractive enough that it's going to get them to say, ooh, that looks interesting, and click on it. And it's not just attractive. It's it's genre-specific attractive because your cover is it's, – it's obvious what the book is from looking at the cover. <laughs> right. And, you're, and you're not going to attract any romance readers. <laughs> no, and that's very, very intentional. So that's targeted marketing. And the reason why I did that, that actually limits my sales. 85% of the people that are going to see my cover are going to say there's no way I would read that book. But I'm after the 15% who say, ooh, it's a werewolf and a pyramid. What's that about? Mm-hmm. And the logic there is that once you show up, you're far more likely to buy the book. If I were to have a more ambiguous cover and title, I might get you to buy the book, but then you're going to give me a bad review because it's not what you were expecting. Whereas in my case, I have a really high average. As of today, it's a 4.7 rating with 73 reviews after about four months. Um, And I have that because I've targeted the marketing towards people who will enjoy a book like this. Which is a wonderful long-term strategy. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm thinking. It's not short-term, so I am you know, sort of sacrificing some short-term sales. But long-term, that kind of passive marketing really, really benefits you. Um, and you know things like the blurb factor into that too. So when you show up on this, this page as, as Joe user and you see the book for the first time, first you're going to look at the cover. Then you're going to look at the title. You might check out the author name to see if it's somebody you know. Um, You're going to look at the blurb to see if it sounds interesting. You're probably going to check the price to see if it falls in your price range. And you're going to look at things like the overall book score and the number and type of reviews. And then some readers, not all of them, but some of them will actually open the book, use the look inside feature to read the first few pages of your book to see if it's something they're interested in. So all of those are areas that you need to make sure are just outstanding. Now, that's that's interesting. You mentioned that... Some readers, not all. That, And I don't have any sense of how many people do that. I know I do it for every book that I'm even remotely interested in. I do either I'll download the sample or do the look inside and, and read the first few pages just, just to see. Uh, do you have any sense of how many people do that before they make the decision to buy? It's hotly debated, so it really depends on who you ask. I gave it a lot less credence initially than I should have. I thought that very few people would look at the sample because I don't tend to. If a book is two ninety nine and everything else measures up, I'll probably give it a try without reading mm-hmm. the first few pages of it. And when I pick the book up, if it's bad, oh, well, I wrote off my three bucks. Um, a lot more people do exactly what you do, and they'll take a look at that, that first few pages to see whether or not they like it. And I don't have any metrics to suggest uh, how many people do that. That's not something Amazon shares, although So interestingly enough, I believe they track that information. They track everything. (laughs) I am hoping that's a tool that they'll open up eventually to authors. It'd be so helpful to know how many people are opening that look inside and how far they're getting inside. Okay, your blurb is, what's what's the limit for a blurb? Is it 4,000 characters? Something like that. It's much, much longer than I'm using. Okay, yeah, you, you did not. So that's obviously an intentional choice. I've heard other people say you should use all 4,000. Why did you take the approach that you took? 
Okay. Well, first I'll start with why they're saying you should use all 4,000. Mm-hmm. They're saying that because every word in there is going to be indexed in the search. So it'll strengthen your relevance when somebody searches for specific terms. So if you have a whole bunch of reviews um, saying, you know, this is an amazing thriller, the word thriller being used there is going to wait in the search algorithms when people look for your book. And that's the argument for. The argument against, um, it, it comes directly from neuroscience, uh, a, a funny word most of us haven't heard called propinquity. Um, Propinquity is the study of how uh, time and distance affect human behavior. So barriers, small teeny barriers that most people don't notice can really shape behavior. If you're driving down the street and you see a Carl's Jr. restaurant and you're kind of craving a burger and there's nobody in line in that drive-thru, you're far (laughs) more likely to turn in and buy a burger. But if you see 12 cars, you're just going to keep driving. So it's the same logic in your book description. If the page is too busy, if you have too much information, the human eye doesn't even see it. And everything else about your book was so targeted that maybe you didn't need to use, you didn't have a lot of keywords that you needed to put into the description. Right. I mean, I'm still considering modifying it. I'm thinking that underneath the description, the the part that people actually read, I may eventually add some text down there, maybe some reviews from users. But it doesn't seem to be hurting me that I'm not. Okay, you mentioned the cover, the title, the author name, the blurb, the price, uh, the review score, the number of reviews. Let's assume that the cover is the most important. What's the next most important? I would say title, because your title needs to be evocative. Um, To give you an example that I used in one of the articles that I wrote recently, um, Brandon Sanderson, very, very popular fantasy author, his first book ever is called Elantris. And that's an example of what I think is a poor title, because Mm -hmm. it tells me nothing about the book. His next book was called Mistborn. And that one, I think, is a much, much better title because it asks questions in the reader's mind. What was born in the mists? So your title is really critical, and it needs to be something that is very evocative and will catch a reader or potential reader's interest. And you obviously followed that with no such thing as werewolves. Um, Your next book is going to be titled No More Zombie. So that's that's fairly evocative. Right. You really get from the titles of the books uh, what they're about. Okay, and when is, since we mentioned No More Zombie, when is that, when's that coming out? Uh, April 25th, and it's No Mere Zombie. I'm sorry, No Mere <laughs> Zombie. Mm-hmm. Can't read my own typing. So thank you for clearing that up. And we'll, we'll link to all these in the book. It's available for pre-order already, isn't it? Right. Uh-huh. And uh, that's been another fun adventure. The whole uh, pre-order setup is wonderful, the way Amazon does that. Okay, and so you're in favor of using the pre-order option? Absolutely. Uh, when a user or wait, user <laughs> from the software world, when, I do a the reader, same thing. <laughs> when a reader finishes your book, you want them to be able to immediately impulse purchase the next book. So the very first line after they finish the end in my book allows them to purchase the next book. I, I want to talk about street teams because I, I heard you talk about it. You were on Simon Whistler's um, podcast. Uh, Rocking self-publishing. And in that, you talked a little bit about street teams. And that's generally something that I think of uh, in very specific genres. I did not know that it, it, it would work as well as it seems to have worked for you in your genre. So let's, let's talk about how you, how you put together a street team and how, how it's impacted things for you. 
Sure. Uh, I started the street team, street team. Initially, I had one email uh, list, and that was everybody who signed up for the book. And then I sent out an email to that list and said, if you want to be involved in the street team, you'll get more frequent emails, but you'll also get you know special offers, um, you know prizes sent out occasionally. And the most important part, the ability to beta read my books. So this is great on two levels for me. First, it ups their engagement enormously because they know that they're involved in the creation of this product, that they get a say in the plot. So they can read the book and say, you know, I really just like this, and they know that I'll listen to that feedback, which keeps them engaged and also makes them more vested in the sales of the book. So when the book comes out, they're just as excited as I am, and these people are out there telling their friends and family, hey, you need to read this book. That's interesting. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's that's okay. So they, they've bought into the whole process. They're they're really feeling it. They're feeling like they're a, they're a part of what you're doing. Right. And to my surprise, uh, they go really above and beyond and do some some uh, crazy things that I love. So I have one person who makes amazing fan art of all the characters, which I've been posting to my website, and that was totally unsolicited. She liked the book enough that she took her time to create this fan art, which everybody seems to love. I saw it, and it's it really is impressive. And I I, I was asking myself, who's doing this? <laughs> when, and now I know it, it's somebody that's on your street team. What's the size of your street team? I'm up to about 120 people. Is there a point when you think it will become unwieldy? Uh, not if I manage it correctly. So I'm very careful about how I approach the street team. I try and answer every email personally. So if somebody from the street team emails me, I'll get back to them as quickly as I can. So I guess in that sense, it'll become harder to respond to daily emails. But as far as managing the list as a whole, it's pretty pretty easy to do through MailChimp to send out emails uh, to create surveys that you, you'll you send to them uh, with questions. So for example, after we uh, did the beta read for No Mirror Zombie, a whole bunch of them sent me feedback and I made a survey and said, okay, guys, here's all the changes I'm going to make. Do you agree or disagree with these? And just had them fill it out. And then I, I was able to look at their responses. Did How many of the street team actually participated in the beta? About 35. Okay. And do you limit that? I don't. So I made the offer to everybody on the street team, knowing that I'd probably get uh, you know about half of them to participate. Okay. It, it, do you envision a point where that could become unwieldy, getting back that volume of feedback? It, it depends. If I were to leave the software world and, and do this full time, no, I probably, <laughs> I probably could react to all their feedback. But yeah, I think I'm going to get to a point where uh, having that many people beta read the book is going to get challenging, and I'll have to approach it a little bit differently. Do you, when you're looking through the 35 responses, do you you just look for the the common threads, common themes? I do, although occasionally you'll have one person point something out that no one else caught that really needs to change in a book. So by and large, it's just common themes where if five people all disliked a certain plot element, I'll change that. And then every once in a while, someone will say, well, did you consider doing it this way? And they'll have a much better idea than what I was using. What will be different about the launch of No Mere Zombie uh, from your first book, No Such Thing as Werewolves? Some of the primary differences are, are a better understanding of the market and the ability for me to do much more targeted advertising. So I'm doing a massive release uh, launch for book one, uh, right before book two comes out. I'm aiming for my first book, Bub, and I'm hitting every other book advertising site I can possibly find. And I've also prepped the street team uh, and as well as the rest of the beta list to all purchase a copy during the first week of, of release to try and get that higher up in the hot new releases list. So I I'm hoping that I'll be able to generate a lot of momentum for book one, which will translate into sales on book two when that comes out. And and what's the specific timing for this? For the you're going to do all this advertising for book one. Let's let's say 
tell me again what when launch day is for uh, book two. So book two is going to launch on April 25th. Okay. So when when are you going to start the, the ad campaign? So the ad campaign begins on April 23rd for the first book, and it begins on April 25th for the second book. So there's some overlap there, and that's very intentional. Um, and so people will know that they're both going to be on sale. So in one sense, I'm going to get a lot less profit because they'll both be on sale for 99 cents. Mm-hmm. Um, but in another sense, that's going to translate into longer term profit, because if it does what every other book that I've seen do, um, it's going to shoot up the charts. And then once they return to the normal price, you're getting much, much more exposure and higher daily sales to compensate. Do you have a, a date? Are you actually are you doing BookBub? I, I've applied, but I have not heard back from them yet. OK, if if you were to be accepted for BookBub, would it be first, last um, in, in this three-day process, 23rd, 24th, 25th, presumably before the launch? I'll structure it around BookBub. I'll probably make them last. So okay. I would do um, some of the other medium-sized sites like ENT um, and uh, Good Kindles and a few of the other ones on the, the days leading up to BookBub to sort of prime the algorithm. And then uh, BookBub would be the tail end of it. Okay. Do you have a budget, a set budget for this? Uh, I know this isn't going to be common for a lot of authors, but no, I don't. I'm willing to throw as much money at this as I can. So I hired an author assistant to comb the internet for every werewolf or zombie forum, every book site that might advertise them, and I'm pretty much wallpapering the internet this time around. Okay. How'd you find the author's assistant? Uh, on Kboards. So there's for the, for your listeners that aren't currently members, I'd recommend signing up. Um, Kboards or Kindleboards is mm-hmm. a place for authors, and uh, you'll see all sorts of, of offers just like I, I got from her, where she was looking for authors that she could work for. She's a grad student. It was just looking for a few hours to help. Okay. And there's also there's, there's just a tremendous amount of information there from people like Chris who know what they're doing and share it on, on Kboards. Some of the some of the things that I saw on your website, there was one particular post called uh, a 10x thing, which is a startup world kind of a concept um, that originally came from the Kboards, right? Right. So all the marketing posts that I was doing, I was posting originally over at Kboards and then eventually migrated them onto my site. If you're not a member of Kboards, whether you self-publish or not, if, if you're publishing, if, if your books are being sold on the Kindle platform, it's interesting to know this, this information. So it, it's, it's free. You can just sign up and start participating. It's just a big forum. Okay. You mentioned audiobooks. This has been very important. It's a very important source of revenue for you with only one full-length novel out so far. And that I think that's a little bit unusual. So walk us through why you decided to do it, how you did it, and, and what's actually happened. Sure. So I, I found a, a book by Simon Whistler, mm-hmm. uh, Audiobooks for Indies, which is amazing. I highly recommend it if you're considering doing an audiobook. And I followed the steps that were listed in that book. I went to ACX, uh, got my narrator picked out, and got the book up. And it was my first time doing it, so I didn't really know what to expect and didn't do any advertising initially well, when let's, the book let's, came out. Let's slow it down a little bit. You went to the keyboards, you found the narrator. That sounds simple when you say it that way, but there's more to it. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, it's it's a complex process, but at the same time, it's not terribly difficult if you have a guide. So okay. this book, I, I want to say it's $3. It's worth the investment. Um, go pick up audiobooks for indies, and he walks you through the entire process from I'm thinking about creating an audiobook to it's rolled out and people are buying it. What was the most time-consuming part of that process for you? Was it the evaluating the different narrators? 
That part was surprisingly simple. So I okay. had, uh, want to say, 20 or so auditions. And you're listening to a 10 to 15-minute piece from each of them. But you typically know within the first two to three minutes whether or not they're going to make the cut. I listened to the sample of the audiobook, and uh, your narrator just totally nailed it. That was exactly the way, when I was reading, it was exactly the way it sounded in my mind. Yeah, I, I got very, very lucky. And I, I hold, held on for a while. There were four or five other narrators that were good enough. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to wait until I found somebody who just blew my socks off, and that was Ryan. What, what's Ryan's last name? Uh, Ryan Ryan Kennard Burke is his full name. Okay. And are uh, you doing the revenue share with him? Uh, I'm not. I'm paying him up front. It, will he be doing the second book as well? Yes, he's already done the prequel uh, novella. He'll be doing book two, and then I've also signed him up for my new series as well. Okay. So as a longtime audiobook listener yourself, you understand how important it is to keep that narrator going. <laughs> Absolutely. Once you have paired yourself with a narrator and your audience starts to like that narrator, uh, you're really going to lose quite a few fans if you switch. You went through the process, you released the audiobook, then what? I'm assuming that you didn't just sit back and wait to see what happened. Unfortunately, that's exactly what I did. (laughs) Um, It's much more difficult to advertise an audiobook, and the only thing that I found that was at all successful was Facebook ads. Um, and even that didn't drive a, a ton of sales. So almost everything that's happened for the audiobook has happened as a direct result of the Audible search algorithms, um, which I now have a better understanding of than I did at the time when I, I talked to Simon about this. Um, the way that they present books works just like Amazon. So you have an also bought list. So if one person buys your book and buys another book, then you're probably going to show up on both lists. And what I found is that my book shows up on almost every single also bought item list on the science fiction category for Audible. Wow. And how does that happen? How does... <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's I incredible. Think it, it shocked the heck out of me. Um, I think initially the start that I got was uh, people liked it. It was a, a new book. The cover is very eye-catching. The blurb sounded good. And they'd listen to the sample. And because I picked a stellar narrator, uh, they were willing to give it a chance. So quite a few people bought it right off the bat. And the reason I think a lot of them did it so quickly is the book has been on sale for one ninety nine since it came out. Mm-hmm. And this is not something I control. Uh, this is something that Audible sets for you. And that means overall, your revenue is a little bit lower because you're getting so much less per book. But I sold, you know, I, at this point, thousands of copies, and I think most audiobooks are selling in the hundreds. And because I'm selling so many more copies, even if it's at a lower revenue, that's why I show up everywhere. What is the revenue split for Audible now? Uh, it's complex. <laughs> so if you go exclusive, it's 40%. Okay. But as far as 40% of what, it depends on how somebody buys your book. So if they buy it with WhisperSync, it's 40% of $199 for me. If they spend a credit on it, it's 40% of half the purchase price. So my purchase price is $16.95, so it works out to be about $4 if they buy it that way. Um, if they buy it outright, you get a different split. And if they buy it as one of their first three books as an Audible member, you get an additional $50. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any sense that what, what are the royalty statements look like that you get from them? Uh, they break down the number for each. So you can really piece it together and sort of figure out where your sales are coming from. But I was more interested in the bottom line. Is this net profitable for you yet? Yes. Yeah, so the book paid for itself in the first two weeks and, and now accounts for about 70% of my uh, profit at this point. That's incredible. 
Uh, it's it's vastly outselling the ebook, and I'm doing well in the ebook, so I have no complaints there. But the audiobook is just selling like hotcakes. Are you talking to other people for whom this is happening? The only other person that I know that has seen this kind of success is uh, Mark Tufo. Okay. And I have not approached him directly about it. So I did a little research just out of curiosity, and I started to notice some things which I think are interesting. So if you look at Brandon Sanderson's Away of Kings book, um, it has 3,000 reviews on Amazon.com. But if you go over to Audible, it has 13,000 reviews. Good grief. So it seems like there is a subset of books that are being enjoyed by uh, audio listeners much more so than their ebook counterparts. And somehow I've managed to stumble into that category. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't intentional. But now that I have a, a pretty good idea of what those readers are looking for, I think I can duplicate that with future books. Okay. So it, in, the audio, in, in the audible process, you really didn't find anything specific that worked. It's just that you have a good book, a good narrator, and a good genre. And, and it's priced well. So it's working for you. Right. If I were to say one thing that you do have control over, it's don't skimp on the narrator. Do you mind if I, well, I'm going to ask anyway, how much did you pay your narrator? You don't have to answer. Oh, I'm happy to. I paid him $150 an hour, which is actually on the low side. You'll see people go up to $400 an hour, depending on the narrator. And how many hours? 14 and a half hours. So the total cost for the book was about $2,300. Okay. So that's, um, a lot of people wouldn't be willing to make that investment. Right. I'm, I'm fortunate enough that my day job pays me very, very well since I, I work at a startup uh, as a software engineer. So I had the capital to invest. Um, but if you don't, you can absolutely do a royalty share and you'll make your money back pretty quick. If you had done the royalty share, well, you'd be you'd be behind where you are now. You're, you're way ahead of the game because you paid the $2,300 up front. Right. I, I have given up several thousand dollars now had I done the uh, royalty split. Okay, good. All right. You, you, you have a day job. You're working at a startup. Everyone knows the people that work at startups have to work 24 hours a day. Where do you find the time to manage your author business and write and, and do everything else? I do it first. I wake up at 5 a.m. I go to the gym and I spend an hour working out. And while I'm working out, I consider what it is I'm writing that day. Then I go home and I write for one hour. So on the weekends, I might increase that to two or to three, but that's all the time that I give the writing. And so I've gotten very good at writing quickly and I can pump out about uh, three to 4,000 words in that hour. You're also talking about doing something with your marketing every day. That takes time as well. Right, but less time than you'd think. You can spend 20 minutes to a half hour doing your marketing if you're doing it intelligently. So when I say intelligently, I mean don't spend a half hour playing around social media. Think of a very specific goal you need to achieve, like I need to add this article or page to my website, and then go do that. Do you have any particular metrics that you track through this process and that you'll be tracking even more closely with the next book? Engagement primarily. So how people are finding the book, where I can track that, um, and where they go afterwards. Uh, do they spend time on my site? If they do spend time on my site, what pages are they going to? How frequently do they visit it? Is website traffic going up or down over time? Um, and then, of course, I'm looking at every type of sale and when and where they're going up and down. How are people finding your book? Is it just through Amazon search primarily? Primarily, it's through Amazon.com. Um, I advertised with just about every book ad site out there as well, and that generated quite a bit of, uh, of a following. And now it seems like word of mouth is accounting for a lot of it. When you were doing the advertising, or you may still be doing the advertising, uh, is, is there a particular advertiser that works best for you? 
it'll work for my genre, but probably not for most people. The most successful one has been ilovevampirebooks.com. It probably wouldn't work for romance writers, even though it has the word love in it. But I'm guessing that there probably are similar sites for every genre. So regardless of what your genre is, I would find your equivalent and market your book there. Is that a review site? It is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're, you're just running a display ad there? Right. So in this case, it was a full page, full page display ad. And then they also had banners they put up. So it ran me something like $80 and I sold almost 150 copies. Okay. You've accomplished a great deal with, with one book. Where do you see this going as, as you begin to add books to your catalog? You're a startup guy. So I I (laughs) assume you've got big plans. I do. I'm expecting in the next year that the income that I make from writing will probably eclipse what I make from my day job at a startup, just based on the current um, metrics that I'm tracking and the uh, the revenue that I'm seeing for the first book. So I'll answer a lot of questions in April when the second book comes out. But if it does as well as I'm hoping that it will, uh, I think that this is a very, very viable career choice and can make people a lot of money. Chris, this has been great. What's the uh, the best way for people to keep up with what you're doing and, and to follow this incredible journey that you're on? They can find me at chrisfoxwrites.com. All right, Chris, thanks. This has been a blast. Great. Thanks for your time, Stephen. I appreciate you having me on the show. Well, that was a really fun interview. I love the startup mentality that Chris brings to his author business, especially the creation of his ideal reader, Mythical Bob. Identifying your ideal customer is something that most businesses do when they release a new product. But how many authors think of that when writing a book? Who are you writing your books for? Can you describe them in the detail that Chris did with Mythical Bob? Would it help you if you could? Stop by the website and let us know in the comments. You'll find the show notes for this episode at theauthorbiz.com fox. That's where you'll find links to Chris's books, as well as some of the marketing articles he's posted on his websites. And finally, if you like what we're doing here at The Author Biz, will you do me a favor? One of the things that matters most in the podcast world right now is ratings and comments in iTunes. So will you please head over to iTunes and give the podcast a comment or rating? And if you want to get everything we do, including all our future episodes, head over to theauthorbiz.com and click on the big green Join Us button. Thanks for listening, and check back again next week. We release these shows on Mondays, and I'd love to have you join us again.